Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits, like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Adam, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good, nice to, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for agreeing to chat and come on my podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. I'm uh, excited to chat with you. You asked some pretty great questions, so happy to dig into it. Thanks. How's, how's your day going, your week? Uh, week's pretty good. Uh, went by pretty quick. Um, I'm, uh, I'm out in Edmonton, Alberta right now, actually. Um, both my girlfriend and I grew up here, so we came out here in July. So it's a beautiful, sunny, but incredibly cold day, uh, like usual. So yeah. Nice. And prior to July, were you in Toronto? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you're based in Toronto, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll jump into, yeah, some of the questions that I that I uh, put in the email I sent you. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, first one, I, I just want to start off. Um, I, I came across Give. I'm trying to remember how I stumbled across the platform. And right now, it's escaping me. But uh, maybe it was in the, the Wealth Simple blog article. It could have been there. Uh, but anyways, love the app. Uh, and I, I just wanted to start off by asking you, what was your motivation to start Give? Yeah, um, appreciate you uh, checking the app out and glad to hear that you liked it. Um, so my background is in is in product design. I've been working at a, a various tech startups in, in Toronto. I was actually at Wealthsimple. I used to work there for a couple of years on the product design side. When I was at Wealthsimple, um, I had, I had this sort of personal realization on one hand, I cared deeply about lots of different social issues, but on the other hand, I wasn't doing, uh, I don't think I was doing enough, um, to support sort of the causes that I cared about. But I think more importantly, um, the giving that I was doing were all very reactive. When my sister did a run for the cure, I donated to that. When my company, when my work had a work fundraiser, I donated to that. I wasn't really thinking really about the causes that I was giving to. It was like, is it a charity? Check. So that's it. 
Like I did a good thing. That's it. And so when I looked at the donations that I've made in the past and, you know, try to compare them to the actual causes that I cared about, there was, there was no relationship at all. So I thought, well, I want to do, you know, more and uh, I want to, I want to give to charity, but I want to do it in a way that actually reflects who I am. And so I first tried to think of what are the causes I care about, which is a surprisingly hard question because who doesn't care about a charitable cause, right? Um, So you really have to think hard about, you know, which causes do I care about the most? And so I tried to do that exercise myself and I picked one to start, which is, uh, which was homelessness. And so I started Googling what are the best homelessness charities in Toronto? Um, That led me down a path of reading articles, which were more like listicles. Um, I stumbled upon charity intelligence, which, um, you know, there was a lot of data on there, but I didn't really understand uh, what I should be looking at. Um, And then the more that I read and, you know, I I picked up a a book that informed a lot of, of um, our our philosophy with give, which is called, which is a book called doing good better by uh, William McCaskill. And they talked about the this whole notion of effective altruism and about how you can try to measure the impact of a charity and to really be judicious about the charities that you choose to support. I thought that research was was so cool. Um, I ended up picking a charity, um, Covenant House, and uh, just kind of from the reading that I've done. And okay, so so that was it. I, I set up a monthly donation to Covenant House, but that's one charity in one cause. Uh, if I wanted to do that across all of the things that I cared about, that, that's going to be a lot of work. And also the, the relationship that we have with charities is very one-to-one, right? So if you donate to 10 charities, that's 10 separate relationships you need to manage. So if I wanted to change my giving amount, my giving budget, I'd have to go into 10 different places. I think some of them you might even need to call them anyway. So it just found the whole experience from a product and technology perspective, also a little bit, you know, frustrating and, and, and not as seamless as I thought it could be. So really drawing upon sort of my time at Wealthsimple, where we created a robo advisory sort of investing experience for people who um, don't, didn't know how to invest frankly, didn't even want to learn the ins and outs of, of how ETFs are structured and all of those things, creating a, a really beautifully designed, simple platform that, that has all of the intelligence built in. Just thought that was so cool. And so I thought, is there sort of a, an equivalent or a similar, similar approach to, to giving where I could give somebody my money, tell them about the causes that I care about, uh, and they manage all of, all of it for me? Um, and I can just lean on their trust and expertise to make the right decisions. Uh, so that's, it, it didn't exist uh, when I tried to look for it. I, I mean, I, in some ways it does exist if you, for example, are a high net worth individual at a bank. Um, they tend to have a philanthropic services advisory sort of um, division that can help you. Or if you have enough money, you could open a donor advised fund through a community foundation like the Toronto Foundation. But those also require you know tens of thousands of dollars to, to get started. So there's no real option for the regular donor like myself who's wanting to give maybe fifty to hundred dollars a month. And so that's that's it. So I thought let's let's make it. Cool. Well, I'm glad you did. Uh, I like, like you, I like the idea of donations 
becoming a bit more proactive, thinking about it a bit more proactively as opposed to just always. I think there's a place for reactive donations too, but mm -hmm. uh, definitely both is good. Uh, a lot of questions I want to ask you. I'm trying to think where to start. Are you familiar with RC Forward? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the platform I've used over the past couple of years. Um, were you familiar with them at the time you started Give, or did you learn about them after? Uh, I learned about them after, um, and and you know I'll I'll say like I, I don't think I'm super super familiar with RC Forward, but from what I understand, uh, they're I think the only way you can give to the effective altruism funds in Canada and get a Canadian donation receipt. Is that right? Yeah, that's um, right. As far as I understand, like there's some, so GiveWell is, um, I guess, similar to you in the States making recommendations to people around which charities they think are most effective. Yeah. So for instance, one of the ones they recommend, I think, is Against Malaria Foundation. Mm -hmm. They have a they have a charity status in Canada. So that would be like another example of a way you could donate to an effective altruism yeah. charity. But anyways, yeah. you're right. For the most part, it's RC Forward. Yeah. Um, so I, I am familiar with them, uh, with RC Forward, obviously now. Wasn't when I started Give, but I was familiar with GiveWell um, and sort of having read through sort of the effective altruism uh, movement. Um, you know, I, I've gotten this question before too. Some, somebody emailed us and said, are you give, give well of Canada? And, uh, you know, the short answer to that is, is no, we're, we're not. Um, like I said, I was really inspired by the, the idea of measuring effectiveness for charity, but my personal view on it is that in some ways give well goes is on kind of one extreme end of the spectrum, right? So on one on one extreme, all you care about is is qualities, right? The quality uh, adjusted life years, um, and so yeah, of course you should donate to uh, the Against Malaria Foundation wherever you can save as many lives as lives as possible. And you know, it just so happens to be that if you're giving in Canada or the U.S., the charities there, no matter how good they are, they will not be able to save the same number of lives per dollar as you can sort of um, in developing countries. So I think that's great if, if that is purely your goal. But I think most people, the, one of the reasons we give is because it gives us a sense of connection to our community. And so uh, one, of, one of the focuses of our funds is that it's, it's all local. Okay, we, we do have a national fund, but we really wanted to focus on local because, you know, most people I think can name like the big, uh, the, the biggest national level charities, but ironically, they can't name, you know, the, the, the food bank, uh, in their community or the mental health clinic in their community. Um, and so those are the charities we want to support. And, and, and we found that those are the charities that donors really feel good, uh, to support. Now from a EA, the effective altruism perspective, that would be a, a quote unquote, like bad thing to do. But we wanted to still give people the ability to make like a localized, more personalized impact while still having some components of vetting, doing a little bit of that sort of effectiveness research. And so we try to land somewhere in the middle of the spectrum so that you're not giving to just whatever charity you, you, you hear of, 
Um, but you're also not just giving and to, to maximize, you know, the lives saved that, that you're giving to causes that you care about. That's personal, that's local, um, but that's still vetted. And you're kind of trying to pick the best of the bunch. Yeah, I love the way you described that taking kind of a middle approach. And I think, I mean, effective altruism, it, it could be it could be wrong in certain areas. So like, for instance, um, I mean, we're human, we're not robots so like you said if if we were robots maybe it's you know donate to the highest quality uh charity best return but because we're human and we have emotional connections to causes that are close to us you know maybe maybe you're giving to a charity that's not the most effective but if 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 you feel more of a connection you're more invested maybe you end up giving more or you end up going and and um, volunteering time at a homeless right. shelter or food bank. So yeah, like I think there's merits to to both approaches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're trying to find sort of a, a balance in the middle. And uh it seems to be sort of resonating with with uh our users so far. Cool. And I asked you over email if you're a for-profit, nonprofit, you mentioned you have both a for-profit and nonprofit arm. Nonprofit allows you to give tax receipts for profit allows you to raise funding. Curious, what was the reason you felt um, it might be beneficial to be able to to raise funding versus to function entirely as a nonprofit? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and um, you know, I, I can't say that you know, give could only happen in the structure that we that we've set. Um, I think Give could have been a, a, a pure charity platform. Um, I think what having the for-profit entity allows us to do is is to really position the technology and the product side of things as a you know typical high-growth tech startup. Um, that means being able to uh, raise uh, capital from from investors. Obviously, there, there's a ton of philanthropic capital out there, um, but it is a very different sort of uh, group of people with that, with that capital. So, uh, you know, by setting ourselves up as a for-profit, we can go to uh, VCs who are maybe a little bit more strategic that can provide um, support in helping us grow the business. Um, also allows us to, you know, uh, have, you know, a reward sort of employees with, with stock option programs as well. So, there's those like benefits there. And, and I'll, I'll say maybe a part of the bias towards going into that startup is probably because that's the environment that I've spent my career in. And so that's what I know. And that's what I've seen to work. And, you know, I'm pattern matching saying we're building an app, we're building a technology platform, there is a charitable component, but you know, that's what it is. All the other companies that I see are, that are doing that are, are startups. And so that's kind of why we went with that. Um, but like I said, I, I can't say for sure that this is the perfect way to do it um, because I, I, you know, I, you know, you look at a company like Canada Helps, they're a technology uh, charity. Um, I have a friend of mine who runs um, uh, another charita- uh, charitable tech company um, called Ample Labs, and she went with the f- uh, full not-for-profit route and she secured, you know, I think, um, great capital from, from, from philanthropic partners and have engineers and designers working on it. So both models, I think, make sense for, for us. It, it was just kind of uh, wanting to raise capital from investors and also just pure bias and pattern matching on my end. 
Yeah, totally fair. Um, in terms of your decision to go with a 5% fee, as opposed to the model that RC Forward and GiveWell use where uh, they fund their operations through separate donations. Curious if you don't mind sharing uh, that decision. Uh, to me, to me, it makes sense that you would tie it to your donations the way you have, um, especially because when I reflect on my donations through RC Forward, I feel kind of guilty that I haven't actually donated to RC Forward's operations. And without them, I couldn't mm -hmm. uh, donate the way I want to. So anyways, I'm curious, curious your thoughts. Yeah. Um, the 5% fee was, you know, I, I, I am definitely aware about some of the optics around fees on donations. I think, you know, I don't necessarily agree with this whole notion that like you need to maximize, no, that's the wrong word, like that you need to cut overhead as much as possible. The intermediaries play a critical role. Like RC Ford plays a critical role. They have staff and those staff need to earn a living. Um, and so to have a little bit more predictability around your revenue saying, hey, if we can uh, get this much in donations, then we can get this much in sort of revenue. Um, that's kind of what we were going after with the 5% fee. Uh, we, we felt like we were providing a value. We wanted people to pay us for that value. Um, the way that our product is structured, you know, you can download the app. I mean, even on the website, we list all the charities. So if you, if you just want to go download the list of charities and go to an RC forward or Canada helps and make your donations there. That's great. We don't, we don't stop people. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten emails of people saying, Hey, I don't really want to pay the 5% fee. I'm like, great. I hope you, I hope you still found it helpful. Our, our recommendation of charities. Um, and the way that we set up the fee is that we charge it on top of the donation. We wanted to make it really transparent and explicit that like, this is the value that we think we're providing. And that's the money that you're, you're giving us. Um, so if you donate hundred dollars, the 5% fee is going to be 105 and the $5 goes to us. Now there are, I think issues with this, with this model. Um, it is a race to the bottom in fees uh, in, in the world, really. Um, you have players like Facebook and, um, and I think PayPal has, uh, has a giving sort of platform that they can really afford to, to, like run it at a loss and maybe it's a brand play, maybe it's a PR play. So it is a race to the bottom and we are starting to get a little bit of feedback here and there. Some folks saying, Hey, like I'm not really comfortable paying the fees. Um, and I think as we get bigger, it's going to become more of an issue. You know, I, uh, we published our annual report. We, we, uh, did just, uh, just over a hundred thousand dollars in donations. We didn't make 5% of the hundred thousand because a lot of it came from one-time donations, et cetera. And those we don't, we don't charge 5% on, but you know, at a time where if we're doing, you know, 10 million, a hundred million a year in donations, and we're now taking a pretty sizable, uh, dollar amounts in fees, maybe the optics issue will become bigger. I think, the the bigger problem though is that even at the five percent, that's not really a sustainable business model. You need a tremendous amount of scale to build uh, a business. As you know, when people 
talk about uh, venture back companies or like, how do you get to, you know, a million in annual recurring revenue for us to get a million in annual recurring revenue, we'd have to do uh, $20 million a year in recurring donations, which probably won't re- represent a majority of our donations is, is what I would expect. Um, that's a lot of scale to get to that, to, to get to that amount. And, and um, it's, I think kind of low margins. So one of the, you know, the new directions that, that we're going into in the new year and this year is going into the workplace giving space. And I know you had some questions around that. I'm happy to dig into that a little bit more, but you know, my goal with that is for that to become our private uh, primary sort of revenue stream. And then for us to offer the B2C product, the, the product that we have out in the app store right now to offer that for free, um, to offer that at, at no cost, no fees. Um, and potentially like none of the credit card processing fees either. Maybe we can just have that run at a loss for us and um, and and just pay you know for everything else with the business side. Now whether that's uh, you know hurting the old me that that felt like you know why is there such a race to the bottom in fees? You know you know companies should be able to charge what they think is a fair price. Um, maybe I'm just adding to that trend by setting this vision of offering it for free. But um, that's kind of the realities of, of the business is it's hard to hard to make money charging fees on donations these days. Yeah. So in, in terms of your decision to go the more uh, give for work route. Uh, so yeah, I've used Benevity through my current employer, mm-hmm. which has been great in the past because there's been donation matching. What are you, are you thinking of a donation matching similar model? And if so, what value are you thinking you can offer um, beyond the awesome kind of UX <laughs> versus like a platform like Venevity? What, what, what value do you see you guys offering? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying that the customer segment that we're going after is, is completely different from Venevity. So um, Venevity obviously are an incredible success story. I grew up in Edmonton. So obviously them being uh, headquartered in Calgary, um, that's, that's awesome. Oh, I didn't know. But they are, they, they work with enterprise companies like Atelis that, that you work at. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, they, they actually turn away any company under 500 employees. Oh. It just doesn't really fit in their deployment model, their product model. Um, I, from what I've, from what I've learned, they have a very sort of hands-on white glove service to, to set up a giving portal, right? I, I imagine Telus's giving portal is like very heavily Telus branded. Yeah. It's like maybe has a name like Telus gives or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's their sort of market. For us, we're really looking at the small, medium business market. I think 10 years ago, that gap, but you know, you know, small, medium businesses and they're having employee giving or employee matching programs. That gap probably made sense 10 years ago when corporate giving and corporate philanthropy was seen as maybe, you know, let's get retention up a couple percentage points and to, to, on a very sort of macro level. Um, whereas now I think we've seen a, a pretty huge shift in the way that employees potential employees and customers, um, their expectations of, of the companies. Um, 
if you remember sort of in June, July, in the sort of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, every brand, small and big, if you go to their Instagram, the comments are like, you know, what causes are you supporting? Um, show us the receipts. Are you putting your money where your mouth is? So these demands uh, and these changing expectations are, are pretty new. And I think um, it's kind of opening up a new market on the small, medium business side. So um, to answer your question about, you know, what what features are we are we thinking of? Obviously, donation matching, uh, employee donation matching, um, that's going to be sort of the core of it. The product that we've built basically becomes the employee experience. Um, and then obviously, we're building sort of an employer experience for them to be able to, you know, track the giving across the company, be able to produce kind of reports to be able to kind of tell a story about the company's social impact. Um, and then obviously make, be able to make company donations themselves. I think the challenge for us is to figure out what does corporate philanthropy look like on the small and medium business uh, scale? Because I don't think it looks exactly like the enterprise scale where maybe there's you know, on the enterprise, maybe there's a lot of focus on volunteering. Who's, who, who knows whether that is actually what's important to the small, medium business enterprise. Um, Similar to that, I think donation matching even is not something that every company can afford, right? Because not only do you have to pay for the software, you, you have to pay for the donations. Um, so we're thinking about products and features and sort of habits that companies can build that they can do sort of at a low cost that doesn't involve donation matching. So one thing we're thinking about is a small company maybe can't do donation matching. So they're going to say, we're going to set aside $300 every quarter, and that's going to be our company's donation. Um, now, traditionally, and lots, I've spoken to lots of small companies that have done this. I've worked at companies that have done this, but it is incredibly disorganized, right? It's, you just have to, somebody has to remember that the three months has, has come and that they need to make the donation. They don't know which organization to give to, let alone like what cause to give to. So how can we productize that, help it become a ritual at a company and have em employees actually be engaged in that process too? So you can imagine they set aside the 300, they set a rule saying every three months, make this donation, but one week before that donation, send a message on Slack to every employee where they can vote for the cause that they think the company should give to. And so they can vote, maybe it's like a proportional um, uh, split, or maybe it's like the most popular one gets it. And then you have a dashboard to track all that. So I think maybe that that's our, that's our hypothesis as to what CSR looks like at a very, very small company. We think at a medium sized company that it looks like some combination of that and employee matching. And then obviously when you get to the large sort of enterprises, that's similar to Benevity's model. So that's kind of how we're approaching it. But obviously, since we're very early, we're going at it with sort of an open mind to learn and kind of discover what this looks like. And maybe it's that none of this has been set. And so we need to figure out, we need to experiment a lot with, with what's going to work with these companies. Cool. Thanks. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on an idea. Someone in the effective altruism community uh, is experimenting with, or is they're currently in the phase where they're just trying to get some, some feedback on the idea and I think the gist of their idea is a platform that merges 
investing and donation. So like well simple meets give and <laughs> it's something like uh you you set a percentage of your returns to go to charity to go to uh, yeah to be donated. Yeah. Have you thought about anything like that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I have. And, you know, it's it's one of the directions that we've thought about in the company, which is to really go the platform approach to try to build like a donation infrastructure that can plug into things like donating your your gains or your dividends on e-commerce, donating a percentage, et cetera. So it's kind of the infrastructure model. Um we haven't done as much progress on, on that as, as we like, but the dividends idea is, is, or returns idea is something that we thought about. And um, obviously I'm still very close to the folks at Wealthsimple. We've, we've done a couple partnerships since, and, you know, I've loosely sort of talked about something like that with them. Um, but I think that's, that's a great idea. And whether, whether it's a Wealthsimple, but um, I think with any other financial institution, it would be amazing to, to run a partnership like that. Um, you know, when I designed Give, I really applied uh, a financial services lens to it because I think that's what giving kind of requires, something that you need to be proactive about. If all of the products that people create around giving is very, it only sort of encourages the reactive donations, which like you said in the beginning, there's definitely a, a place for that. And we even have features for, for reactive giving. But I think for giving to become more embedded in our culture for the next generation to think about giving a lot more and for all of the second order effects of giving to, for us to really reap the benefits of that, like uh, a sense of connectedness to your community, a sense of responsibility. It has to be, the products need to be um, proactive and, uh, and, you know, thoughtful, um, and so, yeah, I think financial institutions, banks and robo-advisors and uh, neobanks, they all should have some sort of giving component. Um, it's kind of sad that, that really none of the big five have a retail offering for giving. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I would love to see that from, from the big five. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts on someone going the impact investing route versus going a, a mix of traditional investing and donating. And the reason I ask is this is something I've just started to recently think about. Uh, I can't remember who, who kind of floated the idea behind me, but I've, I've taken the kind of traditional investing route in, you know, S and P 500 uh, and, and donate versus, impact investing where maybe it's a lower return, but the money you're investing is going towards um, more impactful causes. Right. Any thoughts on, on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I do actually have uh, some thoughts on that. I've, uh, I've been working sort of in an advisory capacity uh, with a company that's in that sort of impact space. You know, I think everybody thinks about the the spectrum, the chart, right? Where you have philanthropy on one end, um, uh, return maximized investing on the other end, and then impact investing is in the middle. 
maybe uh, ESG driven or uh, socially responsible investing somewhere over here. Um, I think that's, I, I, I conceptually, the spectrum makes sense, but, but practically it's not that impact investing solves sim- kind of is solves some of the charitable side of things and some of the return side, obviously return side impact investing is very similar to, but from my perspective, and um, I, I don't think by any means I'm an expert, so I could be wrong on this, but my view on it is that impact investing is trying to encourage um, companies that are going to make a sort of a more fundamental change in the way that we do business or the way that we consume products. Um, whereas charity in a lot of ways isn't about problem solving. That's like something that I've that I think about more and more uh, is that charities don't necessarily solve fundamental issues um, or like systemic issues. Like when we think about um, racial inequality in Canada, like charities are not necessarily going to solve that issue. If you think about homelessness, like charities aren't going to fundamentally solve that issue. What charities are great at, and and that's why I've dedicated sort of my career to this um, for the last little while, is they are great at, you know, changing the lives of people that are impacted by these issues. Um, So I don't think you could just stop donating, do impact investing, and feel like you've accomplished a little bit of what you would have accomplished by giving. I think they have different purposes and you have to figure out which purpose you, you care about because I, I know people I've, I've spoken to folks in the impact space who don't like the idea of charity that they feel like maybe it's short-sighted and that um, to have long-term systemic change that it's got to be on a policy level or a, you know, uh, or an impact investing level. And, you know, if, if that's their belief, then that's great. But, uh, you, you know, you have to be able to tell, see the difference between impact investing and philanthropy in, in terms of what, what your hope, what, what the outcome is, the outcome that you hope for is. So it's kind of my two cents. Thanks. So why, why do you think, why does your gut say charities struggle to solve kind of the systemic issues? Cause I've, I've heard that, um, personally, I don't, my opinion is not set or formed either way, but yeah, I've also heard, you know, charities, you know, could be viewed as more of a bandaid solution. So I'm, wh- yeah. why do you say that? So obviously there's lots of different types of charities. So there, so there, uh, are charities and we, we have some of them in our funds that are doing a lot of advocacy work um, that are, you know, making calls to the government to change policies. So obviously those are slightly different. And so, um, yeah, but to, but to kind of get at what I said before, yeah, I mean, it's, I think so many of the so many of our so the issues that kind of plague our society the the solutions to them are really on a policy level. Um, like we can charities can help people who are experiencing homelessness um, get mm-hmm. out of it and um, sort of improve and fundamentally change their lives. And that's what they do. But to prevent people from from going into homelessness in the first place 
that's, that's a societal sort of failure. And so when, when we think about like problem mitigation, um, I don't think that can be done on a, on a charity level, nor should charities be expected to, to do that. Right. That's kind of what the government's for is to like have safety nets or, or whatever in place to, to prevent people from finding themselves in these situations. So, but, you know, I, I, I know you, you kind of said this lately, but this, the whole band-aid solution thing, um, I don't like framing it as like a band-aid solution because it's not necessarily meant to be a solution. It, it's to just kind of help people that are affected by it. I don't think we're claiming that like to solve homelessness, we just need to donate more uh, to, to, to charities. Um, so yeah, it, it might sound maybe a little bit discouraging, but you know, I still find a ton of meaning in, you know, supporting charities and getting more money into their, into their organizations. Um, because yeah, I think we, we need to, we need to do both. Like we, we need to push for long-term systemic solutions to these problems. And at the same time, we need to do our best to support people who are affected by this. Like it's these long-term systemic solutions are going to take a long time. So what are we going to do about the people that are suffering because of it until we solve it? So I think we got, we, we have to do both and there's room to do both. Do you, do you have a sense of, and I, it probably, it depends on the cause area. So like for homelessness, for instance, do you have a sense of like how much resources, I don't expect, expect you to have an answer, but like a sense of how much resources are going into trying to alleviate the, the core issue versus um, tr- treatment. So I've, I've thought about this in, in, in the mental health space before, for instance, like CAMH, I've been curious, like how much of CAMH, how much of their budget is for treatment versus research. Um, Mm. And I I haven't, I mean, I haven't spent that much time researching it, but I haven't gotten a good answer on it. Do you have a sense of, of what that split looks like? I, I don't, my, my guess would be that to use the treatment versus research sort of paradigm. Yeah. I, I would say if you look at the homelessness fund, I would imagine most of it's on treatment. Yeah. Um, I think CAMH just happens to be sort of um, an institution that obviously has the research capabilities, but uh, you know, if you, if you look at a food bank, all they're doing is treatment, which is what they should be doing. Um, yeah maybe they'll be doing some uh, a little bit of research to, to kind of do some studies to push for change on the policy level. But yeah, I would say most of their work is uh, on research or sorry, on treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a sense or do you like, do you have any thoughts on how to determine what the rate split is? And, and cause like the treatment is the more short-term solution and you need to help the people who are, who are suffering today, but ideally you want to solve the root issue. So you don't have anyone becoming homeless. So I'm curious. Yeah. I've tried to wrap my head around in the past. Like how do you actually figure out like how much resources to put into each, each piece? Yeah. Um, I think that questions should be asked 
at a government level, right? How much of the government funding is going to go towards treatment, like supporting organizations that are um, helping people or um, just a little bit more short-term solutions and how much of it is going to research like long-term uh, investments. Um, I don't know what exactly the split is. I can only say that there needs to be both, but on a charity level, I don't, I don't know, w- without having thought through this fully, my gut says like charity should really focus on the treatment yeah. um, because that's, you know, what, what they're great at and, and the research should be put onto government. Now, maybe the reason that charities are doing more research than treatment or, or um, are doing research in the first place is that there's a lack of confidence, like in the government to, to do that. So they're kind of taking into their own hands and that's, um, that, that could be the case, but yeah. Cool. Thanks. I, I listened to a podcast episode uh, that Angela on your team was on uh mm. which so it helped me learn more about you know the type of work she she does or at least at the time she was doing at charity intelligence uh and she talked about give a bit i'm curious do you use the same evaluation criteria for give and charity intelligence no it's uh it's different i mean obviously you know we, we're both going to look at transparency we're both going to look at governance um, I think there's probably some nuances to like uh, the things that we look at. I'll also say that like charity intelligence is probably for obviously further along in sort of their research because they've just been around longer. Um, you know, we made the decision to to really start our methodology from scratch. Um, so it's probably a little bit different. Um, but also, I think we can we have a little bit more flexibility in terms of being more opinionated, I think, with our research. Um, If you think about it, like charity intelligence kind of serves as a reference, right? So they're kind of like a charity navigator. They're trying to rate every charity um, and so that you can kind of compare one charity to another. For us, you'll see like in our funds, we don't say out of the five charities in this fund, this is the best one. We just say these are the five. Um, and we don't have to review all of the other ones. Well, we obviously do, but like we don't show them side by side. So I think maybe we get to be a little bit more opinionated with ours. So like we have, we, for example, we have caps on how big a charity can be to be in our portfolio. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, big charities are bad. We just have an opinion that, um, it's the smaller charities that need need our help. The big charities have great fundraising teams and are, are doing a fantastic job. Um, and so I think those are some of the areas where we might be different um, because we're just kind of our output is just a small list of charities rather than every charity kind of ranked and reviewed. Interesting. In terms of uh, changes over time and how you evaluate not just give, but you know how how different organizations evaluate charities, try to determine effectiveness. I'm trying to think of some of the recent trends. Uh, I don't know how recent it is, but there's been a shift away from overhead being used as a metric and it being less important uh, and more important, like what's the overall impact? Uh, like mm-hmm. f- like aside from the overhead, like for the money that's going to the cause area. So that's one trend that I've seen. The other one, obviously, with effective altruism is a trend maybe 
in its early stages, but away from local giving. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you see any other trends? Any any thoughts on where where things might head? <laughs> uh, I I don't, but you know, I think probably the most important trend is like getting at effectiveness because that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? Like that's the ultimate thing to to rate a charity on. Like if and we more had proactive, yeah, well. totally. Um, but looking at research specifically. Yeah, it's like, you know, you would invest, you would buy a stock because you want to maximize your returns. Obviously, there's impact components, but yes. um, but if we had perfect effectiveness data, I think that would have to inform that that should inform most of, you know, how people how people give. But the problem is that the outcome data, the impact data is very hard to find compare, analyze. Um, so I think there's a long ways to go, um, both on sort of a, a organizational group level, all the way up to like policy level um, to make that research a little bit easier. Um, and yeah, the shift away from local, from the EA group, that's fine. Uh, I don't think that's going to make a big impact necessarily, like in, in terms of like regular donors. I think most people care about sort of the issues they care about and they obviously feel closest to home. So um, I don't think that's going to be a big trend, but I'm sure in the EA movement, that's, that, that is a big one. Going, going back to uh, one of your earlier comments around like even the 5% fee model only really works at scale. You were saying something like you think $20 million in, in recurring annual donations. Um, my question is like, so, so I saw from your annual report, which was stunning by the way. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nicest annual report I've seen. Um, nice. Yeah. So yeah, what I was going to say is like, you said it's a far way away, but can you see it getting in there? Um, and like how how long do you think it might take? Uh, I can I can see us getting there. I think it'll Hard to forecast that far. It, yeah, far. it'll it'll take a while. I think I think the big question is, and you know, I I made this mistake when when I first started, which is like I looked at giving stats. Canada's what like ten twenty billion. I, I stopped year? looking. Yeah, I stopped looking at that stat. Um, but right, somewhere in the two-digit billions a yeah. year. Um, so you know, when I first started, I was kind of foolish, and I looked at that and I said, "Oh my God, if we take if we take one percent of that, if we just if we can just take one percent of that market, you know, and we take the five percent fee, like that's a huge business." Yeah, I think what I was naive on is that I would I would imagine well a huge chunk of that is corporate giving, um, a huge chunk of it is reactive giving. It's like the fundraisers, it's the, you know, it's the one-time donations. Yeah. So when we're thinking about the five in the 5% model context and thinking about recurring donations, I think our true total addressable market is a lot smaller than, than the 10 or $20 billion or, or whatever. Um, you know, our goal number one is obviously to, to take 
the recurring sort of giving market. But I think the hard part is going to be convincing people to shift from purely reactive giving into mostly proactive giving. Um, that's hard because that's like a behavior that, that, that you have to change. And um, clearly nobody has solved it in, in Canada or the U.S. or anywhere because recurring giving or, uh, is, is still um, not as common. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we can get there. I'm, I'm very optimistic, especially about sort of the next generation. I think they are thinking about things more proactively. They're much, much more aware. And I think one of the tailwinds that, that benefits us is that this notion of a monthly subscription is, is so common, right? We all have monthly subscriptions to things. So to have charity as being sort of, sort of another monthly subscription, I think is a mental model that's starting to, that's going to become uh, more common or, or more acceptable. Um, but again, this is why sort of partnering with financial institutions is, is going to be, I think a big lift for us is because you're already sort of in that monthly deposits to your TFSA, to your savings account, et cetera, mindset. Um, so yeah, hope I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident we can get there, not confident on how long it's going to take us to get there, but <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you considered trying to make give more reactive in, in any ways in terms of getting people to, you know, encourage others, friends, family to, to jump on board, like fundraise fundraiser in some sense. Yeah. So we haven't done fundraisers. It's been sort of in our backlog of something that we've wanted to do. Um, I don't know. I, I think to do it, we'll need to have a unique approach to it. If it's the exact same thing, I, I don't know if that'll be super exciting. Like, um, like you see with any other fundraiser, I, I'd love to spend some time and think about what sort of the the next evolution of a fundraiser could look like. Um, but in terms of reactive, yeah, we launched three funds in 2020: the Black Resilience Fund, the COVID-19 Fund, and the Holiday Fund, which is more of a repackaging for sort of a, the the end of the year. But for those, obviously. Um, if you have a thousand dollars, you, you want to put a thousand dollars in right away. You don't want to divide that over the course of like 12 months. So we opened those funds up for one-time donations. Um, it's super easy. You don't even need to create an account. Um, and so that's, that, that was sort of our push to support reactive giving at a time that made sense, which, which it does. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what we've done for reactive giving so far. I mean, I still, feel like proactive monthly giving is the core of what we do. And that's, you know, my personal uh, mission is like to get as many people giving on a monthly basis as possible. And so that that'll probably remain our focus for a long, long time. Cool. Um, sort of related to reactive giving, but I've been toying around and trying to think through, you know, the idea of collective action problems. And one idea I, I've thought about is like, for instance, um, you can, you can donate like the cost of to donate a water, a water well in, in a th developing country to provide clean water. 
uh, to like a small village might cost like $5,000. And maybe as an individual, it's too much for me to do on my own. But if I was to, you know, post on Facebook saying, Hey, I had a, a cool idea. Um, if we get, you know, a hundred people to like this post and each commit $50, then we can, you know, together donate this water well. And if we don't hit a hundred, you don't have to, you don't have to give anything kind of because mm, the like idea of, yeah, a Kickstarter model. Yeah. Cause just giving the $50, like, yes, you can give that $50, but it feels like, you know, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not enough. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if something like that could, could work from a, from like a give type model where it's like, Hey, if, if, if I get 10 friends to join on, we'll each give 1% of our income and, and amplify the impact. I don't know. Yeah. I think the challenge is like in the, in the example you use, there's a clear goal and an associated outcome, which is that a well is going to get built. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously charity water is like the, the great example of that. Like they can, they've done a really great job with transparency and reporting and impact. And um, I think that's great. I think that's hard to do for most other charities, like for a mental health charity, like what is the goal? Right. Yeah. I mean, you see with like hospitals, like they might have a goal of like building a wing, but like so many charities, there's no like chunk like a unit to, to, to go after. Um, so maybe some people make it arbitrary. Like we want to provide like 10,000 pounds of food or something, but, um, it starts to lose sort of, um, kind of saliency as you get less and less, uh, clear on what, what the goal and outcome is. Um, so I think that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is that for us, because we have a fund model, we have to somehow abstract it against like five different charities. And so it'll be hard to think about like a fundraising goal for a given fund other than just like a pure dollar amount, um, which could still work. And, and um, it's an area that I've thought about like collective action. Like how do we get, how do we turn giving a little bit more into a multiplayer activity? We're starting obviously with workplace as being sort of your first circle. Um, and we'll need to think about what elements of social we can have in there. I, obviously, it's not going to be like a, a Facebook or Instagram, but like some elements of social, maybe peer benchmarking. Maybe there's a fundraisers component. Maybe there's a matching component somewhere. Um, but yeah, there's a lot for us to think about on that. We're uh, we're still very early. Yeah. Well, like I said, right now, like most of my giving is through RC Forward. But um, I wanted to uh, experiment with Give and use the platform. So as of now, I'm just on kind of the minimum monthly donation of $5 that I started off. But it was really cool to see that I'm technically giving to, you know, 43 different charities because I kind of selected every single fund. Nice. So, yeah, it was it was cool to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, like it... it I don't know. It feels nice, even though it's, it's minimal to be able to, you know, contribute to a bunch of different cause areas. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, you enjoyed the experience and that's, that's how we want people to feel is that they can, you know, from the check mark, when I said earlier, it's like the check mark that I had before is like, is it a charity? And I think 
the check mark that we want to make it really easy to check is like, am I giving to everything that I care about? Um, and so with give, like if you, if you sign up and onboard, like you can check that box and it's actually one of the only check boxes that you really need to check. Um, so I'm glad that you like it. Uh, curious, like with RC forward, what's your giving pattern? Like, do you do it on a recurring basis? Do you do it on one time? How do you choose the charities? Do you give to any other charities outside of RC forward too? Uh, outside of RC forward, I give to cam H recurring, but a lot smaller than the RC forward. And then I give reactively, um, like friends, fun, like, yeah, fundraisers and stuff like that. And uh, at work and stuff like that. Um, but the, the, the largest, like the majority of my giving is through RC forward and it's to, it go, it's like, they have different funds similar to you. And I can't remember the name of it, but I think it's like, uh, it's essentially alleviating global poverty. So most of it goes to, um, like against malaria foundation. It's, they direct it. So the fund that I give is they essentially direct it to give wells, um, discretionary Mm. fund, which is give well each quarter decides which, which charity they think is most in need, most in need. Um, yeah, I've thought about a lot about like I'm also interested in like um, you know long term future. They have like effective altruism. There's interest in like existential risk and stuff like that. Um, but I feel kind of I feel kind of guilty giving to to that when you know there's people suffering today um, with so, very real <laughs> real risk versus existential risk. Right? Yeah, where where the money I give, I don't know if it's going to actually have an impact. Um, it's, it's, it's harder to see. Um, right. So anyways, yeah, that's, that's been my giving. Yeah. So I give Got recurring it. through RC forward and they take, um, automatic like debits out of my checking account each month. Got it. And, uh, you give through work as well, right? Through TELUS. I, I used to give through Benevity through TELUS, but when COVID hit, they canceled donation matching. Oh wow! Okay. Um, or at least they suspended it. It's still suspended. So they 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 said that they suspended it so that they could direct more funds towards COVID nineteen relief. Um, I I still I decided I still wanted to give to kind of give well recommended charities. Um, so I switched to the RC Forward um, platform, and there's no there's no credit card fees associated because it's um, right right. Right. And um, do you mind if I ask, like, what what, what was the matching like? How, how much did they match on your donations at TELUS? Up to 2500 a year nice. to any uh, Canadian registered charity. Nice. Yeah. That's that's great. Yeah. It's great that uh, companies are doing that. Yeah. Hope to get more doing that. That's our goal. Yeah. Well, good luck. Yeah. I, I hope you're able to tackle the kind of small, mid-size uh, market. I'm excited to see see what the what's next for Give and uh, yeah, it was really nice to meet you, Jeff, and really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the great conversation. It was uh, lots of uh, interesting questions you asked, and yeah, thanks for reaching out. Thanks so much. All right, All hope right. to chat again. Thanks. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. 
Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.